0: Hard Trek Picard, season one, episode three, the end is the beginning, is over. Or maybe it just started or maybe it's over. The end is the beginning. We're not really sure here at Post Show Recaps, but we're going to break it all down for you and talk about everything that happened in this really action-packed, exciting episode that moved the plot forward. My name is Jessica Leese and instead of bringing on two holographic doubles of myself speaking in different accents, I decided instead to bring you one very special co-host and one very special guest. First of all, let's meet the man of the hour, the very special guest, Mr. Rob Sesternino.
1: Oh, thank you so much, uh, Justin Mike, for having me.
0: Oh, we're so excited. Of course, with us as always is Mr. Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you doing?
2: I've been working on my Irish accent for a week, Jess. You're depriving me of this opportunity.
0: You know, nobody's gonna deprive you of the opportunity, Mike, if you wanna if you wanna just slip into that brogue and we'll we'll feel like you're Laris' long lost northern brother.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I'm just afraid I'm gonna get all the shade from Laris. She has nothing to do now but to sell grapes and throw shade at poor Jabon. <laughs> so hopefully she doesn't uh, you know Take out that abuse on other people as well. But she's got a lot to do now that Picard has officially uh, vacated Earth and moved on to wider planes, as it were.
0: Well, honestly, this is the spinoff show I want is like Laris and Jabon running the vineyard and just <laughs> like it, having a deep relationship and like m- meeting anybody that stumbles into the grapes. I, it, it seems to me like that's what we're really missing here.
2: <laughs> this feels like Star Trek meets Terrace House. Is essentially what you're proposing right now. Like the most like very mellow type of show.
0: I, maybe it's just maybe it's just the mood I'm in that I want something kind of wholesome and comforting. And I feel like, despite the fact that they can really throw down when it comes to assassins materializing on their property, mm-hmm. they just feel they just feel wholesome.
1: Yeah, uh, it's like the Romulan sideways.
0: It, it really is. I, I, I'm here for the Romulan sideways, but let's have everybody keep their clothes on. Yeah. But before we get into all of the amazing things that happened this episode, so many questions running through my mind. I have to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Um uh, this week's episode is brought to you by CBS All Access's Tell Me a Story. So everyone remembers their favorite fairy tales growing up. And me, especially, I had, I had a Big Jones for fairy tales when I was a kid and I had a book of really strange and obscure ones. And I had like Snow White and Rose Red. That was a favorite of mine. And I had this really great one called One Eye, Two Eye, and Three Eyes. And it was these three sisters that had different numbers of eyes. It was very creepy and weird. Uh, I really feel like I'm going to respond well to this new season of Kevin Williamson's Tell Me a Story because it takes the world's most well-known fairy tales and reimagines them as a dark and twisted psychological thriller exploring an entirely new set of characters this season features three legendary stories beauty and the beast sleeping beauty and cinderella so that's what intrigues me about tell me a story which is streaming december 5th exclusively on cbs all access so here's what you can expect the show stars the incredible paul wesley best known for his role in the vampire diaries and you're also going to see danielle campbell from the originals carrie ann moss from the matrix and jessica jones Stellar cast additionally includes Garcelle Beauvais, Odette Annable, Eka Darville, Matt Lauria, Natalie Allen-Lind, and Ashley Medeque. The new season was shot on location in Nashville, which means there's original music woven into all the stories, and you aren't going to want to miss it. So sign up today for CBS All Access by going to cbs.com slash post, get your first week of CBS All Access for free, and stream the new season of Tell Me a Story on December 5th. That's cbs.com slash post to get your first week of CBS All Access free.
2: So, Rob, now you need to tell us a story because, Uh, I mean, you've you've talked about this on previous Star Trek podcasts, but I know that you are a TNG diehard, but I'm sure people that might be hopping onto this podcast just starting with the Picard of it all might not necessarily know your background with the Star Trek franchise.
1: First, I just want to commend Jess on the ad read because uh between you and me that uh that second paragraph of actor names, I don't even attempt it because I <laughs> butcher them all <laughs> I googled so I stop them stop after Carrie Ann Moss, so uh <laughs> I googled all of has. the rest
0: because <laughs> i I felt committed to giving these actors their due,
1: yes, yes, okay, so uh first off that that is uh an amazing job uh so. I love Star Trek The Next Generation. I was, you know, uh, I I know that, like, I seem like a really cool guy and that people (laughs) probably wouldn't know this about me or, like, be able to imagine it. But uh, I spent a lot of my teenage years Thinking about Star Trek The Next Generation, it was uh, the like formative show of um, basically my life from like 1990 to 1994. And I really was obsessed with Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, I was way, I got in like probably around like in the real time around like the end of season four, like start of season five, and I went back and watched all the episodes and I just absorbed anything I could get my hands on Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, I I love it so much. And I've really enjoyed Picard so far.
0: Well, Rob, it's... It was quite a feat also in 1990. I think I think the people at home need to know how hard it was. Like right now we are yeah. spoiled in this age of streaming where if we like one episode of a show, we can just go back to the beginning and stream all of them. It was an undertaking if you liked one episode of a show in 1990 to go back and find the rest yeah. of it.
1: So that really where I uh, got into my deep dive uh, about it. So I had a cousin. Cousin Robert and Cousin Robert was uh, that he he was the early adopter of Star Trek The Next Generation and I wanted to do whatever Cousin Robert was doing because uh, that he was um, um, I looked up to Cousin Robert he was a year older than me
2: and this is like a Dodge and Soji situation where there's like two of the exact same look <laughs> no, don't person. get
1: into the, don't get into the uh, what was it Richmond Robert uh, we're not doing that yeah. right
2: <laughs> Richmond Robert and Paul and rob of it all
1: yeah and so and he had like encounter at farpoint on vhs and then i was like eh. Uh, I don't know about this, but then they started running like all of the episodes like uh, in syndication, like on Channel Eleven uh, in New York uh, during the summer of I don't know, like like 1990 or 1991. And so I just caught up with a ton of the episodes then, and I uh, would like record them on VHS. And by like the real time, I was like living and dying with the show every single week by uh, season five, and so it was uh, you know such a such a great show i you know I, I used to have like the 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 books of the like i had like the like the blueprint of the enterprise and like i i knew way way too much about the original star trek
2: who was your favorite of the uh, enterprise d crew ah <sighs> um I don't know if I had like a favorite
1: like a person that was my I I mean, I loved all of them. I mean, uh, I probably was, um, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I it would be hard to pick a favorite. I, I loved, I loved everybody. There was not a, a dud there. Uh, I really was very upset when they crashed the Enterprise in Star Trek Generations. I, I still don't understand why they why why Troy was at the helm when the ship went down. She does not seem like she had any experience that as a helms person. Well, she had
2: command
0: training. Yeah, but uh, she, does, she,
2: does she know how to fly the ship?
0: I assume that's part of command training. I don't know. Look,
2: Rob in a post Wesley world, they gotta everyone's gotta do their part to helm things. Sometimes
0: I just think they
1: needed, you know, the principals on the bridge, and they didn't have anything for her to do. Like there wasn't any like Counselor Troy duties to do in the big action sequence. So uh, I don't know. I, I hold her responsible for the loss of the uh, Enterprise D. <laughs>
0: They could have just had her ask how everybody was feeling, but yeah. you know, she could yes. sense it. Like, it's just like, you know, fire on the, you know, fire the photon torpedoes and steer out of the danger zone and try. Tell us what you're sensing. hmm.
1: Yeah. But other than that, um, you know. All positive memories of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and none of the other franchises have uh, you know really captured me as as much. Jess, I, I know you love Deep Space Nine. Uh, I I really liked Deep Space Nine, and you know I've certainly uh, you know seen I think probably every episode of the original series, but uh, the Next Generation that was my jam.
0: Yeah. So were you? You must have been out of your mind excited to find out that we were going to finally get a Picard spin-off in the year of our Picard 2020.
1: You know, what? honestly, when I heard about it, I actually was not excited. I was uh, very much like, really? Like, uh, you know, isn't Patrick Stewart like, uh, I mean, he's in his mid 80s. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Like, I I wanted them to do some sort of continuation of the next generation timeline. But I I honestly was not super excited about the idea of a Picard based spinoff.
0: Yeah. Are you excited now? Yeah, I'm into it. Uh, It's it's been very fun. I've been
1: frustrated with all like all of the different Star Trek projects that have come out. Where post the end of you know Voyager, I guess we've only gone backwards in time. Where Mm -hmm. that Enterprise came and it was like, oh, we're gonna go. Before even, I'm like, well, why are we going the wrong way? What do I don't, like, I've never, I was never like, hey, but what happened? I want to hear more stories in between now and what happened in the original series. No, I want to keep moving forward. And then uh the Star Trek movies came and then they it was a reboot and they changed the timeline which I, which I didn't love and then also on top of that then uh Star Trek Discovery which I know you guys podcast about is again um it, it, it has its own charm but again it's like earlier timeline, and it's a different and it's a weirder timeline. So really, I, I've always been excited for to see some sort of a continuation of the timeline that we spent so much time in, in The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that this is really the first one to do that. That being said, there's been a lot of Trek news that's come out this week. I believe there's a rumor now that Finally, that Section 31 spinoff is going to be filming as soon as Discovery Season 3 wraps. And apparently, there are rumblings that this highly sought-after Captain Pike spinoff with Anson Mount might actually become a thing sooner rather than later.
0: Was there ever any doubt that was not going to become a thing? I don't know, because
2: I was really hoping that they weren't going to, like, blow their... baseload with Trek. <laughs> oh, no, I, I no, no. God. God. Alex Kurtzman has been, you know, pretty good at, like, keeping <laughs> things pretty tempered, but <laughs> now that, like, they're really starting to turn on the faucet, especially, I guess, <laughs> with, the, with the critical success of Picard, I'm, I'm starting to get worried that we might end up in a situation where there's going to be, like, a Star Trek series on every day of the year.
0: Oh, Mike. CBS All Access is just going to be slowly assimilated, and it's going to entirely, pretty soon, they're just going to rename it Star Trek All Access, and every show will be Star Trek.
2: I mean, it's also, I don't know if you guys heard, but CBS, uh, with the merge with Viacom, might be launching its own service on top of CBS All Access, so it might even be absorbing (laughs) other franchises, too.
1: CBS All Access really seems to be having a lot of money. Uh, Is it is it that successful?
0: I think they're, I think they're realizing that they're in a very crowded field. And so if they don't have a lot of really cool original stuff, they're not going to compete. So I think it's like everything is a loss leader right now. Like they're just Mm -hmm. funneling money into it in hopes that word will get around and people will hop on board.
1: Boy, Netflix really started a zero
0: sum game. They did. It's like, it's like (laughs) streaming chicken. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love this. I love this idea, especially since now we're approaching, uh, you know, storylines around, like, not only synthetic technology and artificial intelligence, but, like, various... Species around that fighting against one another. And so I feel like it's, it's translated, uh, you know, to, to I guess what we're experiencing today. That's always been Star Trek, right? Looking at the issues of today through the lens of tomorrow. So it really has come full circle.
0: Well, someday, Mike, you and I will be telling our grandchildren about how we were had a front row seat to the streaming wars.
2: Yeah, that's going to be more in our, like, our weird little Romulan-esque mental facility, right? Solving weird Rubik's cubes or drawing symbols on the wall.
0: Yeah, I'm putting down like cards, and each one has like a different TV show logo on it.
2: <laughs> and they're all Star Trek.
0: And they're all Star Trek, because everything is Star Trek in the future. But yeah, so let's talk about the episode that just happened this week. Um, I thought a surprisingly exciting one, but i w- I gotta say I was reading a recap um over on Tor.com. dot com Theres some great Star Trek recaps by uh Keith decandido, who uh has written a huge amount of Star Trek stuff and yeah. that's Rob thecanio son no <laughs> no relation, I don't believe
2: is it his twin brother it
0: could be <laughs> his way. holographic Stunt double of speaking in a British accent for all I know, but he is a he's a writer who's written um several Star Trek novels and has been like a very Constant presence over the last several decades, and he writes recaps of the series. And his point was, he thought this episode could have easily been the pilot. Like we could have skipped almost everything that happened in the well, first. We found the episodes.
2: pilot, Jesse's Chris Rios. We
0: did, and maybe that's what. Maybe that's his point. Now we have a pilot in the pilot.
2: It's an interesting point because you know I think that initially. And uh, when they did the premiere in LA. They showed these first three episodes together. I know when the screeners were sent out, they sent out the first three episodes together because, you know, in the preseason press, Kurtzman and Michael Shabon and the cast basically said that the first three episodes are sort of its own chapter. And considering how we end the episode, that makes a lot of sense. We're basically seeing like the Picard on Earth establishing storylines of, okay, this is who Picard is at, in 2399. Here's everything that happened. And yeah, I guess if you could like, you could probably condense some of these events into like maybe an hour and a half long movie-esque episode, almost like a two-part episode that they used to begin a lot of these Star Trek series and then end with, uh, you know, how the episode ends here. But I don't know. I like I like spending my time here, especially with how much plot we got crammed into those first two episodes. Like, I, I want some time to breathe. And I feel like I got a bit of time to breathe this episode.
0: I think you definitely did, especially I felt like the first the opening scenes where we flash back mm-hmm. again to the Mars attack – I felt like a lot of that was rehashing things we already knew. And Mike, maybe it's because you and I read those comics, and maybe we've been doing a lot of our own extracurricular research on this. But I really felt like I didn't learn a lot in that opening scene.
2: Yeah, Rob, as someone who I'm assuming did not take in the uh, the do their homework and do the extracurricular (laughs) material. Hey, I I listen to you
1: guys talk about it on a podcast. Does that count?
2: I yeah, I, I guess it's the next best thing. But I guess you know. As someone who went into this show, I think fairly, or at least a little less in the know than, than mm. someone like Jess and I who are devote ourselves to this, what has sort of been your thought on like the method they've used these flashbacks in? Because, again, that's not really a very Star Trek-like thing, but I think it speaks more towards these more cinematic takes on the franchise that Alex Kirsman sort of brought in here with Discovery.
1: Yeah, so I, you know... I thought it was uh you know a really jarring way to open the episode last week. Um I felt I agree. I don't feel like we needed to see it again uh this time around. It was weird that we were like like flashing back to something that uh you know already happened previously, but then uh we like to see, it was like a flashback to something we already saw it to set up like what came after that to get the fourteen years ago of Picard. And, uh, Rafi, uh, you know, where Picard was going to hand in his resignation. Now, could, could you both tell me that, uh, did we get any Irishman type action on captain or, or Frenchman in, uh, this scene? Did, did they actually believe?
2: Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. They apparently de-aged a bit of, uh, of Patrick Stewart, which is great because I didn't notice it. And that means that it worked well. At least it worked a lot better than back in the X-Men films when they tried to do it. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: they didn't de-age his voice, uh, which I know, Mike, you talked about uh, uh, Patrick Stewart's uh, voice here in uh, the Picard series in the first podcast recap of the season. And yeah, um, he did look a little bit younger, but he sounded the same.
2: Yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe the trauma of the Mars attack just immediately (laughs) just brought his voice down a couple of octaves, though. I'm very happy that Rafi is now on the show. First off, Michelle Hurd, I think, is awesome. Like, I, I really like this episode because Rafi and Chris Rios might be my two favorite characters on the show right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the scenes with that she had with Picard, like, to your point, the flashback scene was was fine in introducing the character, but what she did so well during the scene that flashes to, you know, her little uh, shack, <laughs> vapeside shack in the Vasquez Rocks, is that she really brings, like, A lot of weight to Mm -hmm. those scenes with Picard, where you can sort of almost get a feeling as to their history without even knowing what happened, without knowing inherently that, oh, because Picard resigned, she was fired. She really walks this great tightrope of like being simultaneously frustrated at him, really sad at him for like never reaching out to her in like the 14 years since they talked, but also like a little intrigued with what he's bringing about. Uh, but also, I just love the way that uh, Patrick Stewart says Rafi, and so I'm I'm hopeful for more episodes. <laughs> How of that. does he
1: say it? Rafi, Rafi, <laughs> Rafi.
0: Yeah i Jess- I didn't mind it, but I also like it. Almost felt like we were supposed to feel like, oh, maybe she is really mad at him, and maybe there's a chance she's not gonna pick up what he's putting down. And there was no chance she was not gonna pick that up. <laughs>
1: Just, do you think that Rafi is living in the abandoned uh, Breaking Bad Winnebago that
0: uh, Walt and Jesse uh, left in the desert? I would be really surprised if that Winnebago lasted 200 years.
2: And if, if that's the case, though, then what is she putting in that pipe then? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I I, I think we got to... Maybe it's just been like retrofitted to manufacture <laughs> snake
2: leaf. The Romulan ale crystal.
0: (laughs) It is the same color,
2: exactly. It's well, except that one's green. Exactly. It's in honor of Romulans. I know that's been a a bit of a sticking point among Trekkies on the internet because we're gonna have. Rafi vaping. We're going to have Chris Rios smoking a cigar. Yeah. And I mean, I guess when you have, you know, really great medical technology in the future, you can sort of partake (sighs) in these vices without really needing to worry about this carcinogenic properties. Uh, But still, it's, it's a weird thing concerning that. I believe Roddenberry was like very adamant back in the TOS days of like, no. We're not having tobacco companies sponsor this show. We're not having anybody smoke. This is a utopia. This yes. is a future where nobody partakes in that. Mike,
1: I, I believe that they were smoking uh, synth tobacco, which <laughs> is looks and feels like tobacco, but without any of the harmful side effects.
0: I don't know, man. Like, even in Deep Space Nine, when they went back to the – when they had the 1960s Holosuite program, like, Quark was horrified. He's like, what are they putting in their bodies? That's not okay. And Quark was like – Quark would sell anybody anything, so. yeah.
2: Yeah, I I was actually just watching (laughs) the episode today, Little Green Men, when they time travel back to the 1940s. And uh, Quirk's like, what the hell is tobacco? And he sees the profitability in it, but at the same time, he's like, I feel bad that these people are poisoning themselves with it. Exactly. He thought it was a good idea, though. He thought it was a brilliant marketing. Um, But hey, if
1: you want to make the future seem edgy, you got to have people smoking. Didn't you see
2: Battlestar Galactica? (laughs) Yeah, this- we, the Borg. We have a, our own little plot here of who's a synth, who's not a synth. It's like the the Cylons all over again.
1: <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be great to see the Borg just walking around like smoking, also? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then they wouldn't be able to say the f bomb. They'd have to say "frack" instead, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. We're we're better off on the streaming service. Hmm.
2: Yeah. There's another interesting thing, because, you know, Rafi obviously has a lot of acrimony towards Picard, and one of them, she mentions uh, the interview that he did, which I would love if it's a runner in in every episode of Picard, they just keep mentioning how much he bungled that interview, (laughs) just as sort of, like, a runner throughout, but she, like, really starts to basically dig into the fact, like, oh, you were in your chateau, and, you know, look where I am, but... Correct me if I'm wrong here. This is like a a moneyless (laughs) society, right? Well, it's,
0: it's a post scarcity society, Mike, which is different from, I guess, luxury goods will always be a thing. And it's funny Mm -hmm. watching this episode. The only thing I could think of was a panel I went to at New York Comic Con in 2015 in which, um, they had a writer from Enterprise. They had a couple of like prominent, E- economists and they had a uh, Paul Krugman from the New York times talking about star Trek. Oh, and I sent around, I will tweet this out. I found a transcript of it, like up to the question and answer period, because the question and answer period was just like a bunch of people raising their hands and being like, but what about the Ferengi? So everything prior to that, they talked a lot about this idea that everybody has their basic needs taken care of. This is like Andrew Yang's universal basic income. Yes. Where You can have, like, if you're hungry, you can eat. If you need clothes, you can have clothes. You got a roof over your head. But there's still only one copy of the Mona Lisa, and it's still worth something. So there's still going to be that element of trading for luxury, and there's going to be status no matter. Like, people will always jockey for status, even if they have all their Mm. basic needs taken care of.
1: Hmm.
2: Okay. I love this prognostication that in the future, everyone's going to be in the Yang gang.
0: You know, I I could think of worse futures, and we're not. <laughs> that's
2: an interesting point, though, because I feel like that's something that is like there. I I do think I agree to your point, Jess. That I mean, I we should not be surprised that by the end of this season, that Rafi and Picard yeah. are going to be you know close together again. But I do feel like Rafi's sort of uh, looking at John Luke in a very different light, seeing sort of like how he landed on his feet after his resignation versus Rafi assumingly falling completely on her face after she got fired Starfleet was her life and Michelle heard talked about that in the writing room this week like there's this whole backstory about like her parents were from the were in the federation and they like left her behind to pursue jobs so she like Became addicted to alcohol or synthahol and Sith hacko to sort of let <laughs> the, the hours go by. And so Starfleet means a lot to her. And so I can imagine that, like, when she got that taken away from her, not even giving it up, taken away from her, she. Just completely spirals into what you say. She it was one big long slide into humiliation and rage. And I think you felt both in that scene.
0: It's true. Picard ruined her life basically. (laughs) He kind of did. He never. He never even called about that. Like, what a dick, man. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, my bad. Probably should have done that. I should. I should have followed up. Oh, so stupid.
1: Um. Also, can I just interject with a uh, non sequitur to bring up uh, if anybody's yang ganglia are tingling?
2: <laughs> I hear those are delicious.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the best part. <laughs> Early contender for the hashtag of the episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I did feel bad for Rafi that uh, Captain Picard did uh, you know seemingly ruin her life, the great Captain Picard.
0: Yeah, that's kind of kind of a dick move. Yeah. Uh,
1: can I also just ask one of the... As Picard has become sort of like a, a polarizing figure, that how come there isn't more of a blowback towards uh, Jean-Luc Picard for being Locutus of Borg? Because I, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I don't know why mm. that this was occurring to me as I was watching the first two episodes of the series. But, I mean, how many people you know, died at wolf three, five, nine that were, you know, that nobody blames Picard for that. Cause I was just trying to think about this. Like, like, let's say like one of like our decorated, like military commanders, what like some sort of, um, you know, was like, uh, hypnotized, uh, what, what what's that movie called where? Uh, Manchurian that, candidate. Uh, Manchurian Yeah. Manchurian candidate. Uh, like ends up like committing an atrocity. And then it's like, ah, all right. All right. He was like mind control. They, t- they took over. He's fine. He's fine. Everything's cool now. Nobody's ever mad at him about that.
2: Do you think it's because he helped defeat the Borg queen? A little while back, and granted, he did not deliver the final blow. That was Captain Janeway. But like, did he? Was he able to earn back some goodwill in doing that?
1: I would guess. And yeah, nobody brought it up in all the time in between
0: those things. Well, I think Cisco was pretty mad at him for Wolf Three Five Nine.
1: Yes. Yeah. I guess so.
0: Uh, nobody else was. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure all the people in Cisco's grief support group were also mad at him, but they just mm-hmm. it just never really came up because. They were busy spinning off a new series. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's a really fair point. I also think there were other occasions where people were assimilated by the Borg. And I think there's enough people that that's happened to at this point. And we're going to get into this a little bit later because I had to go back and do a little deep dive into some of those occasions for reasons. Um, where I think it happened to enough people that they can say, okay, here's what it's like when you get assimilated and here's what you do and don't have control over. Here's how it feels. Maybe cut anybody some slack if this happens to them.
2: Hmm. I guess so. Like, and also, I mean, like you said, Jess, uh, the art of assimilation is something that becomes much more canonical after the events of TNG. But it seemed like at least at the time, the whole acutest thing was like a major event for a number of reasons. And so you can imagine that, like, because it was so new to the Federation at that point, they might have been able to give him some more leeway as to saying something like, oh, it was your fault that you did this. I mean, we saw in that episode, Family, right afterwards, that Picard definitely still blamed himself. But mm-hmm. to your point, Rob, it seemed at least externally everyone was. Not only willing to forgive him, but just basically yeah. reinstate him in that position of power again. You,
1: you know I, I was thinking about this? Because in that first episode, when they were getting ready to interview him, and then there was like on the on whatever the streaming uh, TV service that there is uh, these days in uh, the Federation that there was like, oh, a remembrance. I'm like, oh, what do they remember? I wonder if it's like the anniversary of Wolf 359 and that they were going to do an interview with Picard about it. But it turned out that, that, no, it was just a whole remembrance of the whole Utopia Planitia uh, incident. And that's what they were interviewing him about. But that's what just got me thinking about like, yeah, but nobody ever is mad at Picard about that.
0: Well, it's interesting. It's the I think it's the challenge of um, something as episodic as TNG is you can't... Pull out one thing and say that this is the most formative thing because then where do you go story-wise after that? And so it does kind of hamper them the way that you have to tell a story in that framework is like, yeah, that was really awful and terrible. But if we keep harping on that, we can't push the Mm -hmm. storyline forward. So it was – Amazing at the time that he got a whole episode to recover from it before he had to be back on duty. And nowadays we, we stretch things out in arcs and we would have had, we could have taken the entire season to delve into what it was like to be Lacutus. Are people mad at Mm. him? Are they dealing with it? But back then it was like everything aired in syndication. And if you missed it, you (laughs) couldn't go back and fire up your DVR and watch it or stream it somewhere. You yeah. had to wait for it to come back around again, so you couldn't you, do that. Yeah,
2: yeah, you could. You couldn't call cousin Robert and say, "Hey, can <laughs> you bring up all the tapes where Picard got you know put in front of Starfleet? That's and right, railed against for his crimes against humanity." Yes, it's and true. the
1: producers are like, "Hey, we need Picard feeling better. We got to get him off to Sherwood Forest pretty soon." <laughs> <Exactly>.
2: <laughs> I'm, he is a merry man. Yes. He will be after this. But speaking of the Borg, I mean, we we got to talk about uh, our Hugh here, uh, who obviously you know we knew was going to be coming into this season, but it was an interesting introduction for Hugh, and I mean, obviously he's going to be doing more, because you'd imagine if this was the only episode that Hugh was in, and you had no idea who Hugh was, you would just think he was some sort of nameless character.
1: I only knew who he was because that uh, uh, freaking Mashable had no chill and was like, uh, <laughs> "Here's Hugh Borg, he's back." And about like, okay, well, thank you for the spoiler in my in my timeline about you know uh, who was back. But I felt bad for Hugh Borg. <laughs> and I, I thought I went back and I was because I had recently watched uh, I Borg and I was like, maybe they made the wrong decision. Maybe they should have just ended the Borg because uh, what this is Hugh Borg is like what. In like middle management on the Romulan Borg cube? What kind of life is this? He was better when he was in the collective.
0: I mean, what is better really? Like he he has at least some underlings in this framework. Uh when he was three of five, he was just a drone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> they were to be a band fair, of brothers. The people, <laughs> the people he surrounded himself with in the collective were all equals. Here, even though he's in a position of power, it looks like everyone around him just looks down on him because he still is a Borg at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. His life sucks. Like they should, they should have showed him the shape and got it over with.
0: <laughs> it, I got to be honest. When I I keep again, we've had so many like close calls with the Borg. I was confusing Hugh with the one that they had in Voyager uh, for a while, uh, but mm-hmm. I've straightened that all out now. And there's other yeah. Voyager plot points that I think come up a little bit later on in this in this episode, but. Yeah, I, I mean, Hugh seems happy with his life. I, I, from our point of view, it probably sucks a little bit. Like he's got to watch gross surgeries. He's got to deal with all these people that have been irreparably psychologically damaged by their time yeah. in the Borg, and it's like you basically have to go into the psych ward every day. It's a little depressing, but yeah, but you know, he's not a Borg drone anymore.
1: I guess so. Do you think he still communicates with Geordi? That's-
2: well, that's that's what I was wondering. Like again, the, it seems like there are all these little pieces, like the data stuff in episode one and Hugh here. That like it seems like there's one key connective person that's missing, and that happens to be Jordi LaForge, who nobody knows where he is at this moment. Yeah,
0: well, you don't have to take my word for it.
2: <laughs> that's exactly true. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the schedule is for the Kickstarter reading Rainbow, but maybe they couldn't match it up. Unless they're going to have like Jordi on a you know a, a video s- screen that Picard yeah. talks to at one point.
1: By the way, I was very excited to see Data back in the first episode. I thought that that was uh, really great, the way that they used him. But I did think that it was really uncalled for. I thought that uh, Jeremy Collins had some uh, very unfair things to say about Brent Spiner on his Instagram with Dalton Ross. And I thought that he uh, should uh, take that back. (laughs) What?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Who knew that uh, Brent Spiner's middle name was Nick? And that's how Jeremy refers to him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow, very very shady, that, Jeremy Collins. That, that is that is heavily shady. Like that's many levels. I mean, to be
2: fair, maybe Brent Spiner thought that he it wasn't just going to be one episode. You know, he put on weight to lose it over the course of the entire season. He just didn't realize that he would be the the first one out when it came to <laughs> TNG cameos. Yes,
0: I I think Data was assuming that they were just going to CGI him into old Data, and <laughs> then it turned out the CGI really was bad.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're gonna Irishman Brent Spiner.
0: I think he was assuming that's what they were going to do in all seriousness. And then it's like, oh, we tried that and it turned out really bad. So it's just better if you just, they will just shoot you from the neck up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I love, that was, uh, great to see though. I, I, I loved all of
0: it. Yeah. You-
2: so then, Rob, what, yeah, what are you thinking now? I guess speaking, uh, towards like the Soji of it all, what, what do you think about this whole idea of, you know, a, Biological slash spiritual, uh, you know, descendant of data living on through this girl who, at this point, might not know that she's an android. (sighs) Um,
1: okay. I mean, I I think it's a little bit of a stretch to you know say that this is like a real like descendant of data, but no, okay. I mean, I'll I'll go along with it. Um, Can I give my uh, really wild uh, theory for the season? Yes, please. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, is it possible and t- and tell me if if this can be already disproven? Is it possible that Daj is actually Soji in the timeline that did are, have we seen that the that is there any chance that what we're seeing is not the in the same exact timeline of what's happening with Picard? And that we could find out that Soji is actually Daj before she got to Earth, and there's actually then a, a, a second sister we haven't even seen yet.
2: I love this theory, but the problem is uh, what the happened and last sister? episode. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Where uh, you know Picard saw Daj die, told Clancy who told commander O? who was rocking the shades this week who told <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who told rizzo who sexily whispered it to her brother yeah. who's sleeping with soji so i think unfortunately like that the that whole conspiracy sort of complicates the situation yeah. it possibly being like a westworld season one type of situation i know
1: i know i thought it as like oh that's so cbs all access star trek but that was the one <laughs> that was the one hole in this theory
0: Oh, but I've, I've heard some more CBS All access e theories this week. Um, I've done a deep dive into, into Deep Trek, and there's some weird stuff out there that I definitely want hmm. to discuss. But uh, one of the first questions I heard this week that intrigues me is, are we sure there's only two of them?
2: Oh. Mm. I have heard some stuff that with the the five queens that Data had in the very first scene of the series that – thought that was going to make a reference to a Q appearance, or perhaps five queens, five clones.
0: Mm. Yeah, one of them has uh, dreadlocks and glasses, and yeah. one of yeah exactly one of, them-
2: one of them has speaks in a Russian accent.
0: Yeah, w- <laughs> one of them is a soccer mom, <laughs>
2: space soccer mom. Thank you. Yes,
0: space soccer mom.
2: Uh, I had another
1: idea for when Picard said that he had one last pitch to go, uh, you know, to Starfleet and basically say either do this plan or accept my resignation. Can can Picard conjure Q at any point? Like, uh, why not? If if this is his last ditch plan to be able to try to save, you know, billions of Romulans that that might be, you know, in the. Danger of the supernova. Why, why not try to summon Q and see if he could help out with this problem?
0: Since when has Q ever cared about helping Picard? He mostly like
2: only when Q lost his I powers mean, and it helped yeah. himself. Yeah.
0: What about as a hail mary? I mean, d- well, does I, he have a direct line to Q, or does Q just kind of show up when he just, feels? Hey Q,
2: Q, where I need I need you. <laughs> I, I was I was under the assumption that after the events of all good things, I think he was like, I'm gonna lay off a Picard. He yeah. saved all of humanity. Like, we're we're good right now. You passed your trial second time.
1: Hmm. Okay. So maybe that there's the juice is not worth the squeeze. Even with even being able to save all the Romulan lives.
2: Plus when he's running around with your former girlfriend, like that's just an awkward situation, right?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> is that the um what what is the the secret Romulan? Uh, yeah, I was gonna
2: say not to, the, the Vosh, not to be <laughs> confused Vash. with the Jot Vosh.
1: Yeah. yeah, Um So close to being able to hit that reference, but um, for that they did mention Q in terms of when Captain Rios was talking about like, oh, the great Picard, like the the what do we call it, the emissary to the Q continuum. Uh, that, I mean, that I, I thought that that was a you know a Q, a Q reference that I've never heard Picard. Uh, and we get a sort of Daenerys Targaryen list of titles that included mm. the emissary to the Q-continuum.
0: Q, Q <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he don't, he seems to know a suspicious amount of things about Picard. It's like he was reading the back of his baseball card. Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: Well, his reputation precedes him at that point. But yeah, you bring up a good point that like the Continuum felt really only like a nuisance to the Enterprise D- and to nobody else, like, it almost seemed for a few episodes, like, the Great Gazoo from the Flintstones. Where, oh, like, totally only was. They could totally him, And nobody else knew that they existed. But I think, again, bringing in Vosh for that aforementioned episode, there was also the episode where, like, there was the the girl that was, like, part Continuum. Uh, like, her mother was part of the Continuum and, like, settled down remotely. Mm-hmm. So that's when they sort of, like, built it into the larger universe but who knows i mean this could be a hail mary rob that they bring in at the the last second to like blow up the the romulan borg cube or something i feel
0: like the writers probably have that on the wall like if we write ourselves into a corner and we don't know how to fix it we do have q in the wings and i'm sure john yeah. delancey is on their speed dial and like what else is he gonna do i haven't seen him since <laughs> breaking bad yeah, yeah, that's
2: right. Uh, He's singing I, karaoke right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I
0: do think that
1: the the writers probably like when they were storyboarding the season were like, okay, what are the things about Picard that we wanna that we want? Okay, we gotta have the Borg. Uh Like, I feel like that Q has to be something that you know. If they don't get into it in this season, I feel like if Picard continues on for a couple seasons, we're definitely gonna get some Q stuff.
2: Can Can I throw out a theory as well? If we're we're we'll, we'll piling on the theories here because this sort of connects to like. The Ramda of it all, when uh, Soji is granted access to sort of sit down with the last assimilated uh, Romulan, because it is a little weird that apparently all the Romulans that have been assimilated are now sort of mentally impaired, or at least in mm-hmm. a very different state than other p- people like you who have been formerly assimilated. And then, of course, there's the whole she's the destroyer thing, and uh, you know the I I met you tomorrow of it all, the Doctor Manhattan of it all. Uh, my theory is that, and it goes back to this idea that Soji is technically a descendant from Data. I wonder if going back to Star Trek First Contact, when Data was so instrumental in destroying the Borg Queen that time, if like Data's image has sort of been within the collective. And so when these Romulans were assimilated, obviously that part of the Borg presence in them sort of still remained, and so when a descendant of Data is sitting in front of them, that sort of, like, activates that part of their brains, and so it's not exactly a prophecy as much as it is, like, a reminder of who destroyed them before. Hmm. Hmm.
0: That's an angle of it that I haven't really thought about, and I think the the whole destroyer angle is really interesting, and the I think we are going to get some kind of playing around with time because... We're seeing like there's some sort of prophetic angle to it. But to what end, I'm not sure. But I think I really want to talk about because this is the thing that intrigues me the most out of everything we saw this episode. I want to talk about the weird relationship that the Romulans have with the Borg because this has been this has been the case like pretty much since we first saw the Borg. Um, The same season where we get the first appearance of the Borg on TNG, we get the Romulans showing up out of nowhere after a really long time, wanting to know what happened to a bunch of their outposts. And it's heavily implied that the Borg got them. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't really ever directly tie into each other throughout TNG. But then we have this Episode, we find out that these Romulans who were Borg were part of the last ship to get assimilated by the Borg, and we don't really know like what happened to this cube after that. Just that the collective cut it off.
2: Was there right? The assumption is that this was sort of like the paperclip in the vacuum cleaner that sort of broke down the entire system. So, is it
0: something about Romulans? Did the did they assimilate the Romulans? And they're like, oh, that was a mistake, and Mm -hmm. yeah, erase, erase, erase.
1: So can, can I just ask to back up one, uh, step further? Because the, I really was unclear about why there, there is this, uh, like derelict Borg ship. Uh, and I was not following Voyager closely. I know they had the whole season where they were dealing with the Borg. And I was just going off of on an earlier podcast. You guys said that, that the Voyager, uh, crew ended up. Destroying the Borg. So are all, are all the Borg done or this is just one Borg ship? Because they reference that basically like this ship. Oh, it's, it's like off the grid and the Borg don't care about this.
0: Well, yes and no. We don't know exactly what happened. And I think maybe that's intentional that we don't know exactly how the Borg have been taken down. We know that they mm-hmm. have pretty much either been totally eradicated or they are a non factor. And uh, we know that Janeway was instrumental in that. uh, But we really don't know for sure what the deal is with the Borg. And I think, especially while we're trying to talk all through this, like, why did this cube get cut off? Why did these Borg end? I think we're not meant to know that yet. And we can only okay. speculate.
1: Yeah. But what would be so special about the Romulans that they are the only species that, if they get
2: assimilated,
1: then it completely breaks the Borg?
2: So here's a thought that I've seen bandied about. What if the Romulans created the Borg? And whether it was intentional or unintentional, we know that the Romulans love their secrets. Perhaps they were doing some sort of experimental stuff, possibly with AI, which led to the whole Jat Vash anti-synth movement as well, and they sort of created this weird human machinal abomination that ended up in the form of the Borg. And that's sort of, I don't know how it got all the way out to the Delta Quadrant after that, but that could be a reason as well. And going back to this idea of sort of like a family tree, is Mm -hmm. that I guess it would be a form almost of like incest if you're assimilating, uh, you know, your, your ancestors.
1: Wouldn't be the first incest on this show.
0: (laughs) Clearly not. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good theory because we really don't know why the Romulans hate artificial life forms so much. Maybe it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they created Skynet. It became self-aware. The machines rose up and they're like, oh, oh, we screwed up. Shoot it into space. And they blasted into yeah. the Delta Quadrant and hoped they'd never have to see it again.
1: Or they said, like, uh, you know, uh, put some sort of like a not a wormhole over here and then uh, yeah. like <laughs> lured it into uh, <laughs> the trap. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I. I that's kind of what I would do. I'd find some way to fling it as far away from me as possible if I'd accidentally created Flush the board. Yeah, sure. It's
2: interesting. It's interesting because you know after this, this uh, you know Romulan Ramda ends up kind of freaking out on Soji. You know, calls her the destroyer and everything. She does eventually get subdued, but there are these really menacing cuts to all the other people in the room, and they're all sort of staring at her. Which makes me believe again that even though these implants are removed, I still think there's some sort of sense of a collective among the formerly assimilated, maybe Hugh included. So maybe there's something in the future where like if there's some semblance of a Borg, they're able to sort of reactivate those that are assimilated and they're able to come back together despite any sort of independence they might have had beforehand. Well, I think Mike include Picard. Yeah, that's true. Picard could be part of that as well. That's
0: a good point. That's why I think that's why we're going down this storytelling road and I have to give a shout out here to one of our listeners um LaRue Botha pointed this out just after Soji grabs Ramda's hand her badge flashes green does she need to run mm. and I got this tweet before I saw the episode and I couldn't stop looking for it when I watched the episode and I think it's really super clear if you know where you're looking for it whoa
2: yeah because as we remember last episode during the scariest orientation meeting ever <sighs> yep. they basically said when your bladgefast is green, that means that essentially a Borg has reactivated. So, LaRue, who's a fantastic uh, the showrunner of Survivor South Africa and huge Trekkie fan as well. you uh, Thanks for all your support, LaRue. Uh, he was great to point out that like that small detail really did mean that something awakened in Ramda in that moment, and assumingly in everybody else in the room as well, when Soji really made her presence known.
0: Yeah, it was it was like the temperature changed in the room. So something something odd is happening there, and I I thought it also echoed like the fact that the fact that Romda grabs a gun and is trying to shoot herself in the head that also echoed mm-hmm. what we saw at the beginning of the previous episode. Mm.
2: So you think that's just the Romulan way that they're essentially uh, love to do murder suicides? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we don't know what their secrets are. They said there's they said there's secrets out there that would completely break a human to know. And Mm -hmm. maybe the maybe it's just like, oh, she learned the secret, so now she's gotta activate herself. I don't know. But I think it's interesting that Hugh points out that these are also he doesn't know of any other Romulans who ever got assimilated, which is weird because you would think he was a Borg, he should have access to that information. He's also wrong because we have seen other Romulans be assimilated. But we still we still don't know exactly what the time frame is between that ship getting assimilated and the reclamation project moving in on it. And maybe it's just the fact that there were Romulans aboard that cube that made them interested in it.
2: Mm, yeah, that's very true as well. That obviously, inherently the Romulans... Cause I think we talked last week about how we thought the pro- the project was to you know take out implants uh, and be able to sell them and to sort of build them up economically. But I think a part of it also could be them legitimately seeing, these are Romulans at heart, they could help rebuild our population, let's try to restore their humanity, so then we could sort of, uh, you know, bolster our numbers as they were, considering how many got wiped out in that supernova. Yeah, we
0: need every Romulan we can get at this point. That's a really good point, and I think you do have to think about it from the point of view of someone whose entire species just got wiped out. That That is very true.
2: Can we talk about Chris Rios? Because I I don't know why I'm so excited by
0: this guy. And why are you so excited about Han Solo with a beard, Mike? Yeah, <laughs>
2: because it because it's Han Solo in Star Trek, and we haven't seen that before. We had that one episode of TNG where like that roguish smuggler came in in like the early seasons. Who well, I actually think I from what I remember, I think he was like one of the guys who was up against Jonathan Frakes for the role of Riker. Mm-hmm. So he wants to sort of like throw him a bone here, but. I don't know. I think, I think maybe it's the fact that, you know, he, like Rafi, is a, a pretty broken character. Wait. His sense of independence, his sense of smarminess.
0: Was that the Billy Campbell one? Cause there was, I, I think it might have been. Wow. Billy Campbell is Riker. That's a, that's mind blowing. Yeah. Cause he was in a really early episode, like being that sort of roguish guy. And I, I don't know. I just, it feels, it feels weird just because I think we're used to, Star Trek being a little more antiseptic than that, and you don't have a guy that's like his whole thing is to bend the rules.
1: Mm-hmm. What happened to him? Well, how did he get uh, the uh, titanium uh, ninja star in his shoulder?
2: Who did that to him? I don't know.
0: I mean, yeah, did something it's, it explode. Like he was playing darts like with his emergency hologram pals, and something went yeah. terribly wrong.
2: That's what. I, that's what's so interesting about the character to me is like he. Is this guy who's like, no, I'm a lone wolf. I'm out on my own now. But like, how lonely do you have to be to program? Because we know from Voyager, right, that the the EN the EMH usually takes the form of like its creator. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear that he either created these hologram programs or he modified them so they look like him so they could keep him company all day. Yeah. Maybe he, he just he hates. Maniac?
0: He hates other people so much that the only person whose company he can stand is himself. Hmm but he has to give all of the other ones, like, terrible accents. hmm
2: <laughs> To be the interesting thing is, you know, I was watching Santiago Cabrera in interviews, and he has an Irish accent. So I'm intrigued as to why he's putting on a Latino accent for actually playing Chris Rios himself.
0: That is very weird. He's, he's Venezuelan. He's not yeah. Irish.
2: He has, he has an accent when he talks, though like a like a cuz he was in like a lot of BBC shows. Oh, uh, it looks mm. like he
0: grew up in a lot of different cities, so that probably explains his chameleon like ability to embody all of these accents. But I thought mm. the I th- honestly I thought the Irish accent was the fakest sounding one. <laughs> so, well, that shows how I much like, I know.
2: I like this though cuz this is like a se- function secondarily is like uh Santiago Cabrera's real, right? He just like put it in so people like <laughs> look at all the accents I can do.
1: Captain Realos. <laughs> <laughs> but what's his background though that they talked about that oh you know you already had a captain you admired and you saw his head on a or his brain smashed on a, a, a bulkhead I and mean, what do you think uh, was his backstory
0: well i think his whole deal wonder... he was clearly in starfleet and he got yeah. traumatized by watching his commanding officer get killed i think is what we're meant to get from that
2: Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but it also seemed like a situation where Starfleet erased, like, the entire history of the ship he was on, mm-hmm. Discovery style, so maybe yeah. they did something, like, super disgraceful, and he, like Rafi, like Picard, like Agnes Girati, has become extremely disillusioned with this idea of Starfleet, so now he sort of, like, has gone rogue and has now become a freelance pilot for hire. <sighs> Is it just
1: me or is it like that you know that Star Trek always uh you know uh, adapts with the times and I know that we're at like an all-time high of like distrust in institutions but I I just feel like that's through three episodes of Star Trek Picard I I feel like that there is a negative kind of, and I know that there were always like sort of like rogue operators in Starfleet, but the fact that, you know, Picard had to leave it because it wasn't Starfleet anymore. And we're finding out about like uh, all this shady business that Starfleet is up
0: to. Is, is that intentional? I think so, Rob. I think Star Star Trek is always a, it's always a portrait of whatever's going on in the world at the time. And I think we're coming around to the idea that There's never going to be any true utopia, um, Mm -hmm. not in the way that Roddenberry envisioned it. And if there was, it would be kind of hard to tell consistently compelling stories. And I think I was reading, I was reading about this uh, a little earlier today where because everybody was supposed to get along so well and like everybody was like peace and love and brotherhood and all your needs are cared for in the, in the original series of Star Trek, all of the threats had to come from the outside.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was – that's very limiting from a storytelling point of view. And so we've mm-hmm. seen hints of it in the other series where you have, like, one bad actor. But I think now it's like we know that – we know that a pure utopia is probably not possible. And there's always going to be not a without cynical – Kirk act. Clark <laughs> or the bees. It's true. Or the XBs. But yeah. Or Dedekar. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, I read interviews that I'm pretty sure said that like this show wouldn't have been made if they weren't inspired by things like Brexit, for example, or like a lot of the protests that have been going on because it is a, a fundamental worldview change, like you said, Rob, where it actually kind of comes full circle back to the, the 60s when Star Trek began of, you know, sort of protesting the man. I will say that I don't know how, quote unquote, evil Starfleet as a whole. Has been betrayed because we talked about this last episode. That I think actually Admiral Clancy had a couple of good points. It doesn't help that conspiracy style. There are people working within Starfleet who are specifically working for this like outside terrorist cabal. You know, that mm. I feel like there are people within Starfleet that do have good intentions. The deep but space there are... state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then to, to Jess's point, there are still these sort of inside agents that are still working to bring down these things. But I think it's an interesting unifier of this. I mean, the, the, this quartet calls themselves the Motley Crew. The actors refer to it of like, this is very, this is very unconventional for a Star Trek crew where usually you have the banner of Starfleet to associate yourselves under. And I guess they all do, but it's almost like they're all giving the middle finger to Starfleet and how much they dislike it.
0: It's interesting that there's only four of them. Like you would think that if Starfleet had that many bad actors in it, you'd have a lot of people that were really disillusioned looking for a mission.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, because I wonder, like, Chris Rios is—obviously, the ship he was on had a crew, unless he was the only survivor. Where did What did they do? Obviously, Rafi and Picard were on the Verity when they were trying to uh, evacuate Romulus. What happened to all them? Did they get fired as well? I feel like, if you want to expand even further, there are all these untold stories of people that—if they, they really were trying to start, like, a groundswell movement of rebellion, they they could have a case for themselves.
0: You want to hear my really weird Rios theory? Yes. Oh, yeah. Maybe there aren't any other survivors of Rios' ship because there were no survivors of Rios' ship. Uh, what if Rios himself is also a hologram?
2: We never did see him leave his ship. He
0: Mm did. He declined a dermal regenerator and just put a shirt on over his gaping wound that didn't (laughs) appear to bleed through his shirt. He has all these Hmm. other holograms himself kicking around. Like, what if it's just like one big hologram circle jerk?
2: And then he, he wouldn't worry about smoking then because yes. it would have no negative effects. That's true. Totally. Um, could one
1: hologram, like, turn off the other holograms? Sure. Like, maybe one of them, maybe
0: it's a hierarchy.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Or maybe this first hologram created the other holograms. Right, so he
0: wouldn't be lonely. And because he's a hologram, he doesn't really know anything other than himself. So that's okay. why they all look like him. And, you know... It, even your phone comes with the preset. Like, we have this technology now. Like, I made my Siri have an Australian accent because I could. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. out of the box, <laughs> holograms come with different accent settings. Different accents. Obviously.
2: Yeah, It's good. Yeah, sort of like programming your GPS of who you want to sound like. I mean, it'll be interesting, I guess, when we get to free FreeCloud, uh, which the mission sounds very... Uh, it's very Star Wars, right? Like, when we saw the dice rolling, when Rafi was looking through it, I'm like... Oh man, are we going to a casino planet oh, no. and then we're gonna meet Andy because I know that the internet's kinda not gonna like that. <laughs> yes. They're Free gonna, Cloud City. Yeah,
0: they're gonna roll up on Free Cloud City and it's gonna be uh I mean, what's Billy D. Williams doing lately? Yeah.
2: I think he could transition the uh, franchises.
0: Yeah. It's true. I mean, you got you got George Decay doing voices on the Clone Wars. So why mm-hmm. not?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, Kim Spradlin was, uh, halfway there with her George uh, K impression the other day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. She was, she was just missing that one, that one little bit. Maybe by the end of the game. And if she wins, she'll let on an O and then it'll finally, that sound bite will finally be complete.
0: <laughs> the two of you are nuts. Um, also. I I got two hundred likes on the tweet that just says my yeah so oh.
2: welcome to the internet
0: Jess. everyone is nuts uh, but that is a different show and I I want to talk uh, is there anything else we need to say about Rios uh, at this point or do we want to move on and talk about Gerardi a little bit
2: yeah I'm I'm intrigued to find out more about Rios because obviously you know I think. Again, him and Rafi are probably the two most, quote-unquote, broken characters, which is probably why I'm interested in them. We know a lot more about Rafi at this point than Rios, I think Rob alluded to the fact that we don't know much about his backstory. I'm assuming we'll get more of it, uh, but it'll also be interesting. We talked about this preseason that, you know, I think they sort of have been sort of wavering the parlance of, like, is he the captain? Is he the pilot? It's his ship, but I wonder how much he'll sort of try to abdicate control to Picard and how much he'll try to, you know... Really, uh, shake his fist of like, no, it's my ship. I'm going to make the decisions here. Like, I could imagine some conflict going on because, again, this is not a tried and true Starfleet crew. These are four random people who happen to be going to the same place.
0: Yeah, but he's also been hired. I think he's very much like Han Solo in that regard that money talks. And he said, if you're going to pay me, I'll do the thing you want me to do. Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, he doesn't necessarily consider himself the captain so much as like the Uber driver.
1: <laughs> the Shared Uber. Yeah, shared just, ride. The, yeah,
2: the, Like, oh, can you drop me off a free cloud uh, before <laughs> you make your way to Bruce Maddox? I have some stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and I just hated the reveal at the end. Oh, look, Rafi's there. You thought she wasn't coming because she acted like she wasn't interesting. But clearly she is. And clearly we're going to have like five more I- occasions where... She's gonna be like, ah, I'm mad at you, JL. I'm not gonna hang out with you anymore. Oh, but just when I thought they was I was out, they pull me back in. Mm-hmm. I, it's gonna this is gonna be a recurring theme this season, and I'm over it already.
1: <laughs> she's gonna be coughing up in a free cloud of synth synthbacco pretty soon. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she's gonna go through withdrawal very soon without her vaping. I'm sure I actually know Rios is gonna allow yeah, it on his allowed. bridge, right? Like it'd be hypocritical if he couldn't.
0: Mm-hmm. It's true, I didn't see any no-smoking signs on the bridge. hmm It's allowed. Yeah. All right, so Jurati, Um, she makes an appearance again after not really having a super active week last week, but she's like, I want in on this crazy ride, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm the only person you know who knows synths half as well as the guy you're looking for, so you got to have me with you. But it's very curious, the timing of her appearance at the chateau. Because it appears to happen mm-hmm. right after she gets spoken to by Commodore O. And I think it's really super, super curious that we didn't get to see that conversation.
2: I'm all in on her being secret Jodfosh, personally. Oh. Right. Because there's this weird thing at the at the end of the episode, right, where you know they beam up and Rafi's like, okay, I'm gonna we need to give you a background check, and Picard's like, no need, it's fine. I feel like that's something that they're going to regret later on. Like, I could very easily see her trying to sort of worm her way in, you know, uh, with Picard to try to, like, get in, uh, you know, on whatever scheme he's in. And it's very clear that, obviously, Romulans can disguise themselves very easily just by changing their ears. <laughs> and I agree, Jess. It's very on. Maybe they didn't want to, like, repeat information by showing the conversation between Commodore O and Gerardi, but it was very strange that... There was, like, a 10-second scene of her listening to opera, seeing Commodore O wearing her Ray-Bans, and then that was it.
0: Yeah, that was it. Then she rolls up on the chateau, and five seconds after she she shows up there, like, they're murdering people. Have like, we ever seen sunglasses before on Star Trek?
2: I feel like only in, like, the, the Voyage Home way, when like, travel back <laughs> to the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you know there are jackasses sitting on a bus blasting music way too loud.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: how great is that?
0: <laughs> it's the best. It's the absolute best. Um yeah, I, but I think you know, it goes back to why is everyone in the why is everyone in this timeline so obsessed with 20th century stuff? Like yeah. you, you have, you have Picard with his Dixon Hill novels. You have Ben Sisko playing baseball. You have Tom Paris fixing cars. Like, why do you care so much about things that happened to you 400 years ago? Uh, and this is just one more outcropping of that. Like, oh, look at these cool things people had to put on their eyes before everybody's eyes were like genetically engineered to resist the sun. Mm-hmm.
2: Could it be something where, cause we're still unsure as to whether Commodore O is like, a true blue Vulcan or a Romulan made up to be a Vulcan so she could be in Starfleet? Could there be something with, like, Romulans being sensitive to the light well, or something? We did, use, why...
0: we did use light sensitivity as a plot point in Discovery as somebody being not yeah. who they thought they mm-hmm. were.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. It's very familiar. In fairness, Romulans do
1: not love the sun, that they that's have true, major issues
0: with the sun. They are very upset. Yeah, I, I think maybe it's just like... Maybe that's just a thing Romulans wear because they're symbolically angry at all suns (laughs) in perpetuity. But I think there's also – there is something about Vulcans, like, being extra, like, having, like, extra eyelids or something that protect them from the sun because the sun is very scorching on Vulcan. Mm. So, if she is a secret Romulan, having sunglasses because she's sensitive to light might actually be a clue. Now –
1: Correct me if I'm wrong. There's uh, two sons uh, from that, that in the uh, you know R.I.P. Uh, Romulan homeworld system, right? Wasn't it like a like a Tatooine type system? I honestly like, like, don't Romulus remember Romulus and Remus, like or or was it two planets? No, Remus is another planet.
2: Yeah, it was two planets because that was the the whole uh, Tom Hardy in Star Trek Nemesis. Ah. Or yeah, Star Trek Nemesis was like the he was brought up. He was cl- the Reman cloned him, and so they infiltrated the Romulans.
1: Okay, R I P. Romulus and Remus. Then,
2: which is fine. The Remans were not, not lookers great. compared not to the Romulans. Not
1: great.
0: <laughs> no, no, like all the good genes. Uh, and of course, even on Romulus, there's a fair amount of variance in how you can look because you might have a forehead ridge or you might not. And we learned this episode that that's down to being a northerner or not.
2: Yeah, it's fine. They they all fight the same. I will say that I was happy with that fight because I know in the first episode, you know, Dodge sort of says, Picard, get down. And, you know, it was a little sad to watch Packer Stewart not be able to hop into those action scenes, but... They did that here. And I love the fact that there was like no music. Yeah. It was only scored was by Darren It was intense. And also, uh, the chateau is loaded with weapons. Well, of yeah. course These, it they is. They had, bl- they had phasers at arm's reach. I guess when you have, you know, your staff be members of the tall Shiar, like you always have to be armed at all times.
0: Yeah. And I did, I did like that the one time Picard tries to go hand to hand, he gets totally pwned and he has to pick up a gun and shoot people. I yeah. thought that was also pretty true. Like, I would not like it if an, if the 80-year-old Jean-Luc Picard suddenly just, like, started roundhouse-kicking everybody.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right, then you start to get into, like, again, the Star Trek Generations thing of, you know, uh, when Kirk starts fighting again. And, and you see that those Kirk karate chops do not exactly work 20, 30 years later.
1: <laughs> um, my favorite part of this whole sequence was then with the one uh, northern Romulan that they ended up capturing and that they end up <laughs> to revive him, that Picard for some reason... Uh, I, I don't know if this is for the grapes or if this is because <laughs> they're trying to housebreak number one. Or maybe they, they have, have a, a cat. <laughs> spray bottle nearby. <laughs> that they, they, they have no hypo spray to wake this guy up. Yeah. They've just got a spray <laughs> bottle full of water. Tss!
2: Yeah, they have hydro spray, not hypo spray. That's what they do here on
1: Setopikard. F- set phases to spritz. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 well, how else do you keep number one off the furniture?
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, <Good> why? <laughs> why do Romulans uh, spit acid and disintegrate? Also.
2: Yeah, so, I, I'm i pretty sure that, because I thought I saw this in the first episode. There's been a, de- a bit of a debate online this. I thought I saw the one that spit acid at Dodge, like, bite down on something. Like how, you know, like, back in the 40s, like, the Nazis had those, like, cyanide pills in their teeth that if they were ever in a bad situation, they would bite down on and essentially die with the secrets mm-hmm. they held. Knowing the Romulans, I could see a very similar thing where, you know, this guy just said, like, she's the destroyer, and that's all he gave, and he basically, he he did not get nearly as much on a uh, Jaban's coat as he did on Dodge, but it was pretty much just to, you know, have himself dissolve into smoke Avenger style instead of giving away any other information.
0: Yeah. It's, and it's weird that the, that the substance is green because that's what colored their blood is. So there's some plausibility there that it's just like whatever he was spitting is unrelated or he's just spitting blood because he's dying and it's gross. Uh It's really confusing what is going on there, and I would like to have it explained.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, if the Romulans were able to spit acid, you'd think they'd be much more dangerous in the canon, right, than just their big brains?
0: I feel like that would have been mentioned by now, but on the other hand, the Romulans are extremely secretive. Like, maybe that's one of the (laughs) secrets they hold.
2: All right, we'll open this door, not the false front door, the real door to the secret that we actually are spit (laughs) acid like lizards.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. P.S. I love the little detail that all Romulan houses have a false front door and you have to go around in the back because I feel like that tells me more about Romulans as a society than anything we have previously learned about them.
1: But is it decorative? If every house has a
0: fake front door, what is the point? I think some of them probably have a real front door just to keep it interesting.
2: Like, (laughs) yeah, I guess this is sort of like the, the Vizzini in, uh, in the Princess Bride thing of like, you think I have a back door, but my back door is actually my front door, which means the front door is actually the back door. I'm, I'm double crossing you here. Well, exactly.
0: I'm, I'm sure there's at least one Romulan that does that. But I also think that we're going to get, we're going to get some kind of payoff with that little throwaway line too. Like, I'm sure we get to see like somebody's Romulan house.
2: Well, uh, yeah, imagine you're a displaced Romulan, and you're on this planet, and you have to contract somebody to be like, okay, we're gonna, you know, I'm, I decided to set down residence here. We're gonna build a house. So to start, if you could build a door that leads nowhere, right on the front, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> that let's start off with that, and then we'll sort of work yeah.
0: from there. And just but get, remember,
2: I'm pay- Just get whoever did project.
0: Get whoever did Hearst Castle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, does the fake front door? Does it open and then leads to nothing, or
2: is it just sort of like is it like a a set where it just yeah? Goes... See, I, I, I like to imagine like Looney Tune style. Yeah, the that's door exactly what I was going to say. And you just walk straight into it. Yeah, <laughs> or a wormhole to the Delta Quadrant. That's how they got rid of the Borg in the first place. Oh Borg, uh, <laughs> please come to our potluck. Ring the bell at the front door and head inside. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right um so do we have any other outstanding questions that we need to discuss here we've gotten through every major
2: character oh and his sister are sleeping together right gross
0: i was kind of hoping we didn't have to talk about Nerik and his very close relationship with his sister but yeah i guess we do
2: i mean i guess the romulans they're very secretive so i guess it would make sense that all the conversations they have are very whispered but i don't know it was a little, as she puts it to him, carnal. Uh, we yeah, sort of had yeah. that conversation at the end of the episode. Well, is that mm. the
0: secret that would that would ruin your mind to know? Um, I mean, it got kids thrown out of windows in other shows.
2: Yikes! <laughs> yeah, and the only other thing I will say is, I I, I that final scene was so much fun. Uh, between like you know, we we saw him do the engage again in the in the preseason marketing, but to see it all come together to have, you know, uh, Jurati and Rio smiling and have Rafi rolling her eyes. And then you hear the echoes of the TNG soundtrack playing as the ship warps out. It's I'm happy that we spent the time we did on Earth, but to see Picard actually go into space like really warmed my heart and made me really look forward to what's to come. But do
0: people know that's his catchphrase? I always thought his catchphrase was T. Earl Grey hot, and he said that in the first episode.
2: Yeah. Or make it so. Yeah. Oh,
0: he hasn't told anybody to make it so yet. Like that's definitely yes. gonna happen, right?
2: <laughs> uh that will happen. We will get that fan well, service. C- yes. I, mean, I feel like it's usually associated with like make it so number one. And considering that Will Riker's nowhere to be seen and he left number one behind at Chateau Picard, I don't know if he can find a new number one. Yeah.
1: And this is what one. Can I do one other Picard uh, catch for again? That that I I have, you know, been watching this show for for way too long, and and following the life of Jean Luc Picard. That can I do? Why my uh, one Picard mini impression? Please do. Okay. All right. Come. (laughs)
2: that's it i i did angela can uh can speak up to this when we were watching these episodes every time like someone would knock on the door i said that in his (laughs) voice of like it has to be force of habit right (laughs) yeah yeah
1: that's (laughs) i've never heard any other person uh you know answer a door like that but that's uh that's picard's thing
2: yeah, when I was first watching TNG, I thought that was what everyone would say, but then like when they ring Troy's bell, she's like, "Oh yeah, Come you in, know, c- enter. Hey, enter." Or Beverly yeah. would be like, "Come on in." It's like, "No, oh no, it's just Picard that is giving this really <laughs> weird command.
1: T, Earl Grey hot." What's it? Picard it's, in, it's, answering things and ordering.
0: It's it's not bad, Rob. It's not your best, but it's not bad.
1: <laughs> it's been a minute <laughs> to be fair.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we appreciate you coming on here and picking up all of Star Trek after you unceremoniously threw it aside a year ago and swore you would never come back to Star Trek.
1: (laughs) I offered you my recommendations or my resignation.
0: It's true. (laughs) You you
1: took the latter. Yeah. I I did take the latter. Yes. uh, But... um, yeah, I also uh, felt like that. Uh, did Soji? Uh, did Did you call her a, a know-it-all?
2: I yes. <laughs> which, which I mean, I guess you know, uh, she can be an honorary know-it-all. She'll fill in like someone who uh, shares a similar name as her. She can sort of be like the third person to fill in on finale night when one of you is missing. Okay. Soji Clark is here to talk <laughs> about season forty.
0: <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about um, Soji talking to her mom. On the Mm -hmm. phone, who's clearly there is no mom, right? Was there ever a mom? There's
2: fake moms everywhere. Mm -hmm.
0: And her mom had, like, the Manchurian candidate. Like, speaking of Manchurian candidate, we had the mom, like, give some kind of trigger word that made her fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that
2: was really strange. Well, because I guess... Soji hasn't really been, quote unquote, awakened yet as Dodge was when she had that bag put over her head and then was able to essentially, you know, she knows Kung Fu. Uh, But Soji starts being like pulling a Wikipedia and just lists off all these facts about Ramda that she never knew before. So I guess, I mean, I guess Data was sort of a compendium of lots of information. He sort of was like a living Internet in that regard. So I guess instead of the kick-ass fighting uh, Soji got that part of Data's personality.
0: She's also multilingual because she speaks to the Borg drone in its own native language.
2: Yeah, which was interesting. I didn't remember that the Borg had a language. Well, they don't. It's the
0: language of the species of whatever it was before it was a Borg. Right,
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know if that's Romulan or if that was, like, another type of of language, but yeah, it seems like she's very well studied, though it seems like it might just be complete gray matter and nothing that she actually looked up on her own.
0: Yeah, I think it was, I think she, I think she had all this stuff in her head right out of the box.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if the, like, Hollow Mom was, like, a (laughs) Narek idea. That like he triggered her getting knocked down, so he planned to like have this romantic tete a tete with her, so he later wants on. to be
0: he wants to be her lover and her mom, which yeah. I guess makes sense because he wants to be the other one's brother and lover, yeah, can
1: I also say that, um, I feel like that this this plan sort of out of context by uh nerick like uh they 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 know that um so she's a, you know, uh artificial life form, right? A, she they know she's mm-hmm. a synth. Yeah, and, he does. A, and his plan was all right, well, I'm going to maybe pursue uh a physical relationship with her just to just uh you know throw uh you know just to see how close i can get to her but uh the this, this is the plan okay like i totally understand why his sister is uh has some misconceptions uh, about whether or not that this is the right course of action
2: right i think the plan is that uh rizzo alluded to in the last episode is to get information out of soji as to either where bruce maddox is or if there any are any other sins where they might be, so they could be destroyed. And so, I think essentially they're taking like a, I wouldn't say good cop, bad cop, but yeah. like bad cop, horny cop, <laughs> But there was, like, you know, there
1: was no other way to potentially get the, like, like, couldn't be just like best friends with her?
2: Like, Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> uh, maybe he feels like the closest way to like her brain is through her heart, from that perspective, Whoa. and sure, so he her wants heart, to get her Mike. vulnerable so, he, so that he could then like ask her you know, about this information that apparently lies very uh unconscious in
0: her or he's got to get her naked so he can find the usb port (laughs) oh maybe maybe. oh
2: boy
1: maybe oh boy okay
0: (laughs) well on that on that savory note uh thank you again rob for joining us this week um we really love hearing all of your thoughts about everything star trek and you are of course welcome back anytime
1: Well, I do have a lot of fun getting to talk about this universe. I I wish I had more to add about the plot and everything that's going on, but it is very fun to be able to revisit the world of Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: Are are you going to tell your cousin Robert to listen? Then then cousin Robert stopped
1: listening to, uh, like, uh, like he went through a phase with, uh, Star Trek and then he like got into other things and then he was like, uh, too cool for Star Trek then anymore, but, uh, I stayed with it.
0: Hey, it's coming back around, man.
1: Yeah, I I guess so.
0: I don't know if, I don't know if Picard is something the cool kids do (laughs) absorb these days, but it sure is less of a pariah inducing Thing to be into science fiction these days. Yeah, I do
1: think that right. uh, the millennials and the Gen Y. I think that uh, he's their favorite eighty-year-old uh, uh, action hero.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a who's t- oh, his category, competition? But-
0: Sylvester Stallone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, or like uh, Morgan Freeman. You know, I'm, we'll wait until we get like a Star Trek TikTok memes, <laughs> and then we'll really know when we really <laughs> crossed over into the the pop culture pantheon. <laughs>
1: Uh, but I really appreciated you both uh, having me on to talk about this.
0: Yeah, we were happy to have you. Hi, yeah, anytime, Rob. It's like it's like you're our our podcast mom.
1: <laughs> well, I put everybody to sleep. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time.
0: It, it's hey, you know, i I've, I've heard people listen to our podcast to fall asleep. Actually, no, that's your other podcast that people
1: listen to to fall asleep. <laughs> it's many of them <laughs> and audiobooks.
0: Indeed. Like, I, I'm given to understand that Rob does quite a few other things in the podcasting world.
2: Yeah, though, Rob has been really making his own sort of, like, tour of the podcast. You know, he's been guesting on The Mass Singer. He, uh, you know, was was guesting on the, some other, The Real Weird Sisters. He was guesting on, all, making appearances on all these podcasts in the past week. Australian sort
1: of- Survivor.
2: Exactly, Australian Survivor, uh, and then you're just segueing right into coverage of Survivor 40, which is going to take up a huge part of your life as well, so it's almost like the warm-up into just co- a complete dash for the next few months for you. <laughs> yeah. vash. Uh, <that> <laughs> exactly, the... <laughs> You're going to join the Jat Vosh soon afterwards and want to ban all the egg Twitter accounts because they're, they're too artificial for you. Yes.
1: And I hate them. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a, a crazy week of, uh, I've talked about a many different, uh, assorted things. Uh, also I have been recapping Curb Your Enthusiasm for some reason as well on post show recaps.
0: Well, it's good. We need some more shows covered on post show recaps. And I'm sure that I'm sure it is a show with its merits i mean i i heard that curb your enthusiasm actually got a guy um got a guy's murder conviction overturned one time so Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: i i can't totally hate that show then
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah we love the shows here on Show recaps with the uh bald protagonists
2: yeah, I mean that really is like our our mood these days between I mean I don't know actually if you call John Locke a protagonist necessarily, but he's an important character. I also wouldn't call Larry David a protagonist either.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, when Walking Dead starts up, they gotta bring on some bald guys. Yeah. I guess the zombies are bald. They mm-hmm. Count.
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not sure where I'm going with that. So we know what Rob's gonna be up to for the next several months. Um, Mike, what are you up to for the next several months?
2: So a uh, lot of Survivor as well. I luckily got to appear with Rob talking about the Survivor at Forty retrospective special, which went as similarly off the rails with our with our tangents as <laughs> my- uh, this podcast did. Uh, also on Posture recaps, going down the hatch with Josh Regler talked about actually one of my least favorite Lost episodes this past week in Adrift, but we sh- we still had a really. Fun time getting down into it. Uh, in terms of Star Trek Picard, I am, of course, writing about it over at CBR.com. I did my Episode 3 recap, as well as a quick little article for people who might not remember who Hugh was and what he does now on the board cube. I sort of filled in the blanks there. Also writing about Australian Survivor and uh, doing some fun stuff at Parade.com slash Survivor for the new season as well. So we've only just begun. We're about to all warp into the hyperspace of Survivor coverage coming up next week.
0: Yeah. Well, thank goodness I, (laughs) thank goodness I do not have to go full warp into the survivor content, but I do have several pieces coming out, uh, for primetimer.com. I have a piece that dropped today that kind of breaks down all of the different game twists that we can expect to see in season 40, just in case you're one of those casuals who dropped off the survivor radar for many years and are coming back into it now. Little refresher course. And then, uh, early next week, we're going to start dropping cast preview articles. Uh, my managing editor, Joe Reed, and I kind of traded off talking about uh, which which contestants we think have a really good shot to win, um, who we think is too much of a threat, and who we think is not enough of a threat. So that was a lot of fun to write. And then hopefully I will be excused from Survivor for a very long time after that. Uh, so the – rest of everything else, uh, we hope you guys are enjoying our coverage of Star Trek Picard and you can always engage with us. There it is again, engage (laughs) by uh, shooting us a tweet. You can tweet at Mike at Mike Bloom type. You can tweet at me at Haymaker Hattie and you can bother Rob too. He's at Rob (laughs) Cesar And we always love hearing from you. Uh, we have a Star Trek only feed that you can subscribe to. I believe that's at postshowrecaps.com slash Star Trek. And that will bring all of the content that we're doing for Picard as well as down the road when we do Discovery. That'll be in there too. Or you can just subscribe to the general Post Show Recaps feed and have all of our wonderful content in your earbuds at all times uh there's always something fun going on here and at our sister site rob has a podcast and it's just a sister site it's not like a special sister site like narc <laughs> please please no, I,
2: i'm pretty sure it's a poster recaps and rob has a podcast in a hallway whispering to each other very
0: closely it was carnal <laughs> it was very carnal
2: <laughs>
0: oh
1: no oh no
0: oh well, this is this is bad this is this is very bad so uh, if you guys are still if you've stuck around for this long uh, we just want to thank you very much for putting up with all of our craziness and we hope that you will tune in again next week uh, when we break down episode four so thanks for tuning in everybody have a good night